Tonight, the city of Memphis on edge, bracing for the release of the police body cam footage in the Tyree Nichols case. Many are thinking, here we go again. He was a human pinata for those police officers. Get on, get on the ground! Tyree was the unifier of our community. He didn't shake hands, he didn't wave, he, he came up and hugged you. It has my son's smell. What were his dreams, his aspirations? Ty used to tell me all the time, Mom, I'm going to be famous one day. I just didn't know it was going to be this way. Instead of protecting people, they are hurting people. What does it mean to be black in Memphis? It means that you are in a constant state of, like, trauma and apprehension. How do you repair a troubled department? Well, it's about changing culture. People have to recognize that law enforcement in the United States has roots in slave patrol. What made you decide to take a picture? To show the world what the police had did to my son. Mm -hmm. Today is today. We're gonna pack Tyree's room up. This is gonna be a difficult time because what mother wants to pack up their son's room and knowing that he'll never come back? Sorry for the mess, Tyree. He cleans his room up every Sunday. And so his demise was on the Saturday, so he didn't get a chance to, to clean up his room. The robe is special because my son, I bought this for Christmas, and he told me he never had a robe before as a grown person, and I, was shocked. I'm like, Ty. He said, Mama, this was the best Christmas present. And I said, Ty, a robe. He said, Mama, this was the best Christmas present. <laughs> so, it has my son's smell. I'll never get rid of this. If home is where the heart is, Rovan Wells' heart is forever broken. For Tyree Nichols' family, never has new meaning and the smallest memories have become precious mementos. This right here, this is one of Ty's. Skateboards from when he was real little. As you can see, it's just really beat up. He would just, he just loved skateboarding. For Rovan, closure seems impossible. Moving forward, imperative. By living here, I have to pass by where my son was murdered every day. And as a mother, I, I can't handle that. So I, my husband and I, we decided to move. I, I have to be able to heal, and I can't heal here. It's been five months since Tyree Nichols' name became a rallying cry. Protesters across the country demanded justice for this 29-year-old who died after being beaten by men who took an oath to protect and serve. Much of it was captured on body and security cameras. He was a human pinata for those police officers. It was an unadulterated, unabashed, nonstop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh my God. Even the police agree an 
offering this stark warning before releasing the footage. This incident was heinous, reckless, and inhumane. I have seen the video myself, and I will tell you, I was appalled. And once again, America is forced to look deeply at the divide between race and the culture of policing. I think that uh, race and racism are actually a fundamental part of the culture of policing. People have to recognize that law enforcement in the United States has roots in slave patrols. We will always be in a perpetual state of getting better. There is no end to better. Here's the rub, though. Yours is a business where things go wrong someone could die. From government leaders to grassroots organizers, call for change are growing louder. I'm here today to, to voice total opposition to giving police more funding. And a new family has joined the chorus. There's all these senseless police brutality killings that are still happening every day. We want justice. We want this to stop. So tell me about your son. Tell me about Tyree. Tyree, Tyree is one of those special individuals that does what Tyree wants to do. He is not a follower. Like I tell people, he'll give you the shirt off of his back if he feels you need it more than he does. Me and Tyree connected immediately. Mm -hmm. It was like I'm his father from day one. We used to go out and throw the football every day and go play basketball. He's always been a free spirit. He's always been very imaginative. He's always been very um, courageous. I love everything about Tyree. He was always a joy. For those who knew and loved him, Tyree Nichols was a breath of fresh air, a razor-thin, six-foot-four, tall glass of California sunshine, a hugger, with a heart for photography. On his website, he wrote, Photography helps me look at the world in a more creative way. It expresses me in ways I cannot write down for people. I hope to one day let people see what I see. I got married in 2016, and I was looking for photographers. I'm like, man, they're trying to charge me like $5,000. And he's like, I'm a photographer, duh. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> he took pictures of my whole wedding and all the pictures around my house are pictures of all the memories that he captured on one of the best days of my life. And that was just who he was. Tyree was kind of like the unifier of our community. When I first met him, I was like, who is this kid who will not leave me alone? Like, he comes up and tries to hug me every five minutes. Like, oh man, if you walked into a room with Tyree, you might as well just walk over for a hug, because he was one of those people. Like, he didn't shake hands, he didn't wave, he, he came up and hugged you. <laughs> a free spirit who felt freest on a skateboard. I think he had a hard time for the majority of his life trying to figure out where he belonged because he was so different. I guess a video? Get out of here! You don't have to have any prerequisites to come hang out at the skate park. You could just be whoever you are, have a board, not have a board. It's just kind of where the misfits go. And for Ty, he was a misfit who found his home here. Now what is it about skateboarding that he loves? He's always told me while he's on that skateboard, he just feels free. He just feels free when he's on that board. And I used to joke with him because Ty is 6'4 now, you know. And I used to tell him, Ty, you too tall to be on that skateboard doing all those flips and things, you know. When Rovan first moved to Memphis in 2008 to be closer to family, Tyree tagged along. The transition was not easy. Tyree was a kid born and raised in California. He was a California kid. Yeah, he was a California kid. He grew up in a multiracial community. Yes. Memphis, Tennessee ain't that. No, no. And so then in Memphis, Tyree, for some people, wasn't black enough. No, he was some not. Some black folk. Exactly. And for some white folk, he was still black. Exactly. He didn't feel comfortable here. He asked if he can go back and stay with his dad. 
So Tyree went back to California, discovering, though, both the blessings and burdens of adulthood. He became a father in 2017 at the age of 23. I think it was just too much life on him. I think he stepped into a situation that really he wasn't ready for. He wasn't mature enough for. But his son is here, and we love him to death. He loves that little boy. So in February 2020, just before the world shut down due to the pandemic, Tyree packed up his life in Sacramento and moved back to Memphis in search of a better life for himself and his son. I think um, things got so hard out here for him. He needed to go back to his roots to make himself whole again. And I think he found that out there because he did nothing but do better as soon as he hit the ground out there. So. Tyree got a job at FedEx, found his rhythm, found his tribe. A Starbucks became their gathering spot. We just became good friends, you know, just hang out there, have coffee, and just talk about whatever was going on that day. He just wanted to be happy and healthy and do what he wanted to do. I believe he was still trying to figure out who Ty really was. What were his dreams, his aspirations? Ty used to tell me all the time, Mom, I'm going to be famous one day. I thought it was through his photography or, you know, I just didn't know it was going to be this way, in this manner. I just thought it would be through his photography and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yes. Where'd you go? Huh? Where'd you go just now? It's, you know, I get to talking about him, especially because that conversation was just recent, probably about a month before it all happened. By all accounts, Tyree Nichols was coming into his own. He had his family, his friends, a future. He literally texted me. He said, I just want you to know that you are valuable to me and I love you. And I was like, I don't got no money. <laughs> and so I called him and he was like, no, I just wanted you to know that. And I was like, okay. And I said, you're valuable to me too. <laughs> and that was the last time I talked to him. It was a Saturday night, January 7th. The moon was full, the air was cool, and Tyree Nichols had no idea his world was about to change. 8.30 p.m., a half mile from home, Tyree is pulled over by Memphis police. They allege he was driving recklessly. Body camera footage from the night shows his car boxed in by what appears to be two unmarked vehicles. One officer yanks Tyree out of his car and throws him to the ground. Within the span of a minute, we see the officers pin him down, cursing, yelling at least 20 commands to Tyree, sometimes simultaneously. The encounter escalates. Officers use pepper spray. Tyree breaks free and runs. The officers give chase. He sprints south towards his mother's home. The pursuing officers catch up, tackle Tyree cries out for his mother, who is three doors away. He pleads with officers, but the beating continues. That bothers me a lot, you know, just the fact that I wasn't there to help him. You know, you as a parent, you want to be there to help your child. And I wasn't. We didn't hear anything. We didn't hear anything. But your baby boy was three doors from the house. Basically, yes. Screaming for you. Screaming for me. And I did not hear him. But you know what? I'm glad I didn't hear him. And you know why? Because I wouldn't be here speaking to you today. We would all be dead. If I heard my son hollering for me, Oh, I would have ran out, and I would have probably started blasting them because they're beating my son to death. So they probably would have shot me to death, too.
A video from a pole surveillance camera documents the undeniable. Give us your hands! Over the course of the altercation, Tyree would be tased, pepper sprayed, kicked in the head, punched and hit with a baton, often while being restrained by other officers. Tyree Nichols weighed 150 pounds, according to his mother. He was unarmed, unable to defend himself, slipping in and out of consciousness. All the while, a mother's intuition, sensing something was wrong. I was talking on the phone to my daughter, and I kept telling her, I said, damn, my stomach is hurting. And I just couldn't understand it. Once we got the knock on the door and things started coming to fruition, I realized why my stomach was hurting. That was my son's life being taken, and I was feeling it. 8.41 p.m., EMTs arrive. They appear to interact with Tyree, who's now handcuffed, limp, and falling over. It's not until about 19 minutes after the two EMTs arrive, they finally render aid. A review of the footage shows Tyree was left in distress for nearly 24 minutes. I would describe it as probably the worst example of policing and what public safety should be in the United States, and I would even argue in most places around the world, because this isn't solely about police officers or law enforcement. It was also about the failure of other first responders that came on the scene, who had the ability to intervene, who had the ability to advocate for someone's humanity, and everyone in that situation failed to do so. An incident report leaked in late January painted a completely different picture of that night. It claims that prior to the traffic stop, officers observed Tyree driving recklessly. Officers also described Tyree actively resisting by pulling on duty belts, grabbing an officer by the vest, and at one point grabbing for a detective's gun. A narrative we hear officers creating in real time in the body camera video. He literally had his hand off my gun. That report also fails to mention the beating Tyree received, only noting that a detective had struck him several times with a baton. So footage is always important to bring to bear. There is a narrative, a script, that law enforcement oftentimes are shown to use when they get in these particular situations. A script that did not match what we actually saw. Memphis Police Chief Sarah Lynn C.J. Davis would later say the reason for the initial traffic stop, reckless driving, was questionable. We haven't been able to substantiate in any type of vi uh, video that um, there was a reckless driving um, type of action that prompted this stop. I didn't see the video, but I saw little pieces of it. To this day, you've never seen the video? Not the no. whole video, no. Being a parent, it was, it was hard to watch. It was hard to see five men that weighed over 200 pounds beating on your son. It was just inhumane. Like, what individuals would do that to another individual? Like, who would do that? Why would you sit there and beat him to death the way you did? We got the knock on the door around 845. Who was it? What did they say? What did they do? We heard somebody, bang, 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 bang on the door. Memphis police, Memphis police. And we looking at each other like, oh shit, what the hell? You know, what the police doing, you know? Rodney goes to the door and they come out, Tyree Nichols, yes, I know Ty, that's my son. What do you know, what's going on? Well, Ty's been arrested. Arrested for what? A DUI. DUI? I don't sound like my son. He don't, we don't get down like that, okay? They asked, is he on any kind of drugs or medication? And I said, no, why would you say that? They said, because he had all this strength. Superhuman and everything. strength. Superhuman strength. So as I was asking, you know, where my son was, well, he'll be transported to the um, hospital and then after that, he'll be transported to the jail. Okay, well, I'm gonna come. Oh, no, you can't come. He's arrested. She says a few hours later, a doctor called, urging them to rush to the hospital. That's when they saw Tyree, unrecognizable. 
They were just keeping him alive with those breathing machines. Yeah. The boy had so much swelling. His head was like a watermelon. I just went over to him and I told him, I said, Ty, you fight, baby. But I already knew. I knew he was, he was brain dead. In that hospital room, Rodney Wells made a decision that proved pivotal. What made you decide to take a picture? To show the world what the police had did to my son. Mm -hmm. Nearly the very same words uttered by another parent in 1955. Like Mamie Till Mobley, the mother of Emmett Till, almost seven decades ago, 14-year-old Emmett Till was abducted, murdered, and lynched for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Seventy years later, a new image stirred old fears and frustrations. Like Emmett Till, like George Floyd, what might have been if there weren't pictures, if there wasn't videotape? If it wasn't a video, we wouldn't be sitting here. Those five officers would be still patrolling, and my son's death would have just been another black man um, beaten up by the police. And that's it, because... It would have been their word. Against ours. Three days later, on January 10th, Tyree Nichols died. She called me and said, he's gone. And I, I blacked out. I broke my nose. I fell down the stairs. Like, I, it was, I, I don't know. The family and their attorney, Ben Crump, soon called for video of the incident to be released. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And when you watch that video, you will see people if they did right or people if they did wrong. I remember sitting in my office upstairs and he said they beat him like a human pinata and I took my hands and I covered my ears and I just screamed because I wanted him to stop talking because I, I saw it. You played it in your head regardless of if you've seen it or not. Um, it was a tough pill to swallow. As Tyree's story dominates the national headlines, Memphis officials signal that the traffic stop had been far from routine. The actions of these officers were awful. And no one, including law enforcement, is above the law. In the days following Tyree's encounter with police, five officers involved in the incident were fired. To Darius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith, all charged with multiple felonies, including second-degree murder. To find out, the officers were um, five black officers. It was devastating. Somebody who looks like you, you could display so much hatred. The word that comes to my mind is self-hatred. Desmond Mills Jr.'s attorney told ABC News in January that not all the officers played an equal role. I suspect uh, that you're going to see that some officers crossed the line, but it wasn't Desmond Mills Jr. who crossed the line. Emmett Martin III's attorney spoke at a press conference televised by ABC Memphis affiliate WATN. No one out there that night intended for Tyree Nichols to die. An attorney for Tadarius Bean told WATN in February that Bean never struck Tyree and was, quote, just doing his job. Attorneys for the other arrested officers did not respond to Impact's request for comment. The five officers were part of a special department within Memphis Police called the Scorpion Unit, a muscular name for a modest meaning, street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods these specialized units, like the Scorpion unit, they are giving a lot of leeway for what they do. Oftentimes, they are tasked with a couple of outcomes. We want to see drugs off the street, so we want to see big drug bust. We want to see guns off the street, so we want to see you getting firearms. And we want to see murders decrease. Everything else goes by the wayside. The new Chief of Police, Sarah Lynn, C.J. Davis. The unit was launched in 2021, shortly after Chief Davis was sworn in. It was created to address violent crimes such as homicides, carjacking, and car thefts, according to the mayor's office. When talking about her top initiatives, Chief Davis vowed to clamp down on reckless driving and drag racing, linking them to more serious crimes like car thefts. 
When we identify individuals that are reckless driving to a point where they put other lives in danger, we want to take your car too. Take the car. Even if the case gets dropped in court, we witnessed it, you did it. Just in the first few months of the Scorpion unit's existence, Memphis's mayor touted that it seized at least 270 vehicles. These units, like the Scorpion unit, have very little supervision. Oftentimes, they might have a direct line to the police chief or an assistant chief, someone who essentially knows how they're moving and what they're doing. But in their everyday, they're going out doing their job with very little oversight. And even when something happens, they oftentimes have the ability to craft things in a way that allows them to keep doing their job. They came from around this corner right here, where this other street is. Uh -huh. They came from there. That's when he like approached the car and started pulling on the doorknob. He just grabbed my door handle and started telling me to get the F out the car and stuff like that. Even before Tyree Nichols' death, Montarius Harris says he knew full well what the Scorpion unit was capable of doing. They were saying like, open car, get out the car, we're gonna shoot. Da -da -da -da. On January 4th, Three days before Tyree's running with police, this 22-year-old says he had his own encounter with these very same five officers at his cousin's apartment complex. He says their ordeal is now part of a lawsuit he's filed against the city and the officers involved. Walk me through what happened. I began to move my car so I could park. As I was moving up, um, these guys, they came around the corner. I was kind of scared, like I didn't get out the car because they had masks, they had big guns. And I was like, you know, what's going on? I just kind of like pulled my car right here. Monteria like said he thought it was being robbed. So like, In an attempt to get away, instinctively backed up and his car hit a wall. So when I got out to look at the car, he was still coming towards me. Like at this point he had a gun at me. Pointing at you. I could like see some reflective letters on, he had a vest. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, he must be like a security guard or something. So I began to walk towards him and I'm like, what's going on? You know, what's going on? Listen to this audio. It turns out when officers were approaching his vehicle, Monteria says he was recording a song and captured the encounter. He just grabbed me and he threw me on the car. Some more guys. They came and grabbed me and they were just roughing me up. Were you fighting back? Were you being aggressive? No, I wasn't, I was, I had came at them like this. Like they grabbed both of my arms. So I couldn't do anything. I was punched, I was kicked. And one guy take my head and like slam it to the concrete. And they had put like a gash on my forehead. In the audio, you can also hear Monterius yelling for his cousin, Terry. I'm just constantly screaming, you know. And one of the residents, the lady, that's when she came out. And I could hear her saying, um, he's calling for his cousin, go get his cousin. Mm -hmm. So you think the woman calling out got them to stop? Yeah. Monteria says the beating left him with several injuries, so severe that when officers took him to the Shelby County Jail, he says a nurse insisted he be taken to the hospital before being booked. An affidavit of complaint for the incident lists the same officers as the ones arrested in Tyree's beating. According to the complaint, the officers said they were at the complex conducting a separate investigation when Materius's black Chrysler began screeching its tires and drove at detectives at a high rate of speed before stopping. No. Didn't happen? No. Not at all. Police say that you exited your vehicle and tried to evade them on foot? No. When I exited my vehicle, it was because I hit the pole that was behind me. He was charged with, in part, possession of a controlled substance with an intent to sell, and possession of a handgun while being convicted of a felony. But all the charges against Monterius Harris were dropped in late April. My dad, he always, like, lectured me, like, how to handle things with the police or if I'm ever in a situation. Your dad gave you the talk? Yeah. yeah. After this situation, it was just more scary when we found out about the Tyree situation. And I was like, 
those are the same five, five officers that beat me up. It was just like, you know, maybe, maybe I should be scared of these guys because instead of protecting people, they are hurting people. Monterius's car was impounded. He says he never got it back, despite a judge ruling that the property be immediately returned to him when the charges were dropped. Oh, I had paid for it and everything. The lady at the impound lot was actually saying that a cop had signed for a release or something like that. ABC News was able to verify a car with the same VIN number was listed as sold for $4,000 in late March, a few weeks before the charges against him were dismissed. A car similar to Monterey's black Chrysler is worth as much as $14,000, according to Kelly Blue Book. Typically, money made from these sales goes to the city. In the lawsuit Monterey has filed, he calls this incident part of a clear pattern of abuse. If you look at the affidavit of complaints, they all contain the same general lies about young black men, about these arrests. And they had drugs, they, they fought with the police, they tried to run. It's the, it's the same lie over and over and over. Make it sound like it's a playbook. It is a playbook. If you read Mr. Nichols' encounter with the, with the police officers, they just went through the playbook. I mean, the same with, with Mr. Harris. It speaks to what is wrong with the criminal justice system here in Memphis. When asked about Monterius Harris, the Memphis Police Department responded they are unable to comment on pending litigation. For anyone who may say, well, the charges have been dismissed, move on, let it go. You say what? I say no. I say that um, those of us who have been fighting these civil rights battles in Memphis for over 30 years, we have to have a day of reckoning. And so until there has been some real systemic changes in the approach to policing, mm -hmm. these incidents will continue to occur. The Scorpion unit was disbanded on January 28th, 21 days after Tyree's beating. But the bottom line is these are the units that a lot of police officers want to be part of. You become part of that unit, gives you a lot of status, gives you a lot of power, a lot of control. The way that they might engage in their work might actually lead to over-policing at the expense of trying to keep certain people safe. The Shelby County DA's office later said it would review all prior cases closed and pending of those five officers. Those five officers and others failed our community and they failed the Nichols family and that is beyond regrettable. Chief Davis did not respond to our request for an interview. Rovon Wells hasn't lost complete faith in law enforcement, but is still waiting for authorities to return Tyree's car. She thinks his camera and his notebook might still be in it. There are some good police officers. You have bad apples in everything. You can't judge those bad apples, you know, and say that the whole organization is bad. At the end of the day, if something happens to me, I'm gonna call them, <laughs> you know. I just have a grudge against those that had something to do with my son's murder. A sixth officer, Preston Hemphill, who was involved in the traffic stop, was also relieved of duty. Kimpo seen here deploying his taser as Tyree flees and heard minutes later on his body camera. I hope they stomp his ass. His attorney, Lee Gerald, said in a statement that Hemphill is cooperating with officials in this investigation. A seventh officer would later be fired, while another resigned before he could be terminated. The Memphis Fire Department also conducted an internal investigation, concluding two of their EMTs on the scene that night failed to conduct an adequate patient assessment and violated numerous policies and protocols. Both were fired along with the lieutenant in charge who remained in her vehicle. The three Memphis Fire Department employees did not respond to Impact's request for comment. In the aftermath, one of the EMTs, Robert Long, told the state's Emergency Medical Services Board he assumed Tyree was refusing care because he kept slumping over. With what I knew was going on with the patient, I didn't think of him rolling away. I just figured that was him rejecting us, putting him on vitals. 
MPD is leaning over the patient in his face saying loudly that the patient is not going anywhere and that they are not going to uncuff him impeding patient care. Today, President Biden meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus at the White House amid renewed calls for police reform. My hope is this dark memory spurs some action that we've all been fighting for. I'll see it in the White House. I get to go see the President of the United States. Nearly a month after Tyree's death and just six days since laying him to rest, the White House invited Rovan and Rodney to attend the State of the Union. It was the family's first time in D.C. This is where the laws are made, so we're going to make a new one. Amen. Yeah, the other families are all here positioned behind the podium. The Congressional Black Caucus held a press conference with Tyree's family and other families all too familiar with the same type of pain. Every American deserves the equal protection of the law and the right to go home to their loved ones every single day. I was there with Rodney and Rovan as they prepared to enter the nation's halls of power, grieving, exhausted, but resolute. Tonight, along with you all in the chamber will be family members of others mm -hmm. who died. Mm -hmm. uh, the father of Michael Brown, George Floyd's brother, Eric Garner's mother, the list goes on and, and on. And on and on. That says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, something is wrong here. Again, we don't see Caucasian kids getting beat up by the police. We don't see videos of that happening. Join us tonight are the parents of Tyree Nichols. We had to bury Tyree last week, as many of you personally know. There's no words to describe the heartache or grief of losing a child. And when police officers or police departments violate the public trust, they must be held accountable. Let's come together to finish the job on police reform. Do something. We are united! Since George Floyd's death in 2020, lawmakers have called for reform. We are responding to the cries in the street. We are taking them seriously. This is my 10th speech on policing in America in eight years. Activists and those who've lost loved ones demanding it. This is 2020. Enough is enough. When it comes to what we hear from Congress, I think a lot of people are like, just stop giving us the messages. We actually want to see you all vote on something. People uh, saw the murder of George Floyd as an inflection point. And then also thought that we would see large scale change at the federal level. And unfortunately, we haven't necessarily seen that. And in fact, things have only gotten worse. An ABC News analysis shows the number of deadly encounters between police and unarmed citizens, which began nonviolently, have actually increased since Floyd's murder. In the last 10 years, more than 2,500 people have died during an encounter with police that began as a nonviolent incident. The largest portion of victims in those encounters were black. While black people make up about 13% of our nation's population, they make up 38% of the victims in these cases. The symbolism by your presence is significant. But the substance of the expectations in D.C. right now is that it is a divided Congress, that nothing will change. What say you? If nothing changes, then they're telling us that they don't care about our kids. If they don't change this law, they're basically telling me to my face that they, give, they didn't give a damn about Tyree or the other kids that have died at the hands of police officers. As a parent, Myself, what I just heard, I think, was both hurt and anger. Yes. I'm very hurt because they should have passed this bill a long time ago. Maybe my son would still be here. If you could talk to those officers, what would you say to them? My words to those officers are, you mess with the wrong family. Once again, we told you something like this would happen. With reform at a federal level stalled, activists across the country are making changes at a local level, from Minneapolis to Raleigh to Washington State. 
Here in Memphis, the fight for justice runs bone deep. It's a city whose history is inextricably tied to race and civil rights. From the push to end segregation in schools, to the sanitation worker strike in 1968, where the demands were over dignity, not dollars. When Martin Luther King Jr. gave his final speech. And I've seen the promise. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Hours later, took his last breath. Following Tyree's death, activists got to work, getting the city to pass six new ordinances, including one named after Tyree called the Driving Equality Ordinance. It bans stops for low-level traffic violations like a broken taillight. Police often argue these stops can lead to tackling more serious crimes, but those opposed to them say they unfairly target communities of color. So that, that videotape in Memphis, is that at all a teaching tool? Well, you absolutely ask yourself, what could we do differently? What is it in our policy and training that gives us confidence that this would not happen in our agency? Those are questions every police leader should be asking themselves. Michael Harrison is one of the longest serving police commissioners in Baltimore. He considers himself a change maker, a progressive leader in law enforcement. In the wake of Tyree's death, Commissioner Harrison released this video. What we saw in the video was truly heinous and does not represent the calling of our officers to serve and protect. What compelled you to do that? I wanted the message to be clear. Right is always right, even if no one is doing it. Wrong is always wrong, even when you see everyone doing it. But we live in an age now where a number of, of, of sizable cities, my hometown, Baltimore included, have chiefs of color, but yet these things still occur. Why is that? That is a question we're all trying to answer. It speaks to supervision, but it also speaks to leadership at the top, where culture is created and where culture is supported and pushed. A number of the officers involved in that case are black. So part of what I hear you say is that race matters, competence matters, but what we're learning is that culture is colorblind. I would agree with that. And culture sometimes is, is not specific to an officer or his or her race. I, Michael Harrison. Do swear. Do swear. Harrison has built his reputation on trying to change culture. In 2019, he took over the Baltimore Police Department in the aftermath of the death of Freddie Gray, the young black man who suffered fatal injuries in the back of a police van. The department was put under a federal consent decree. Before that, he had been in New Orleans, its police department once dubbed the most troubled in America. While there, he created a peer intervention training program to help root out misconduct. What rank is typically the on-scene commander? Here in Baltimore, under his command, every officer was required to take that training. We have all types of de-escalation techniques we use to calm and de-escalate citizen aggression and citizen escalation. We're now teaching officers how to do that with each other so that we can step in front of another officer before a bad act happens. I brought it to Baltimore. It is the catalyst for reform and is the catalyst of how we change culture. Harrison has been praised by community leaders for his reforms, but he's also drawn harsh criticism from the police union for staffing shortages and the city's crime rate. Someone told me once that transformers, trailblazers, are many things, are also people get a butt full of arrows because you ruffle feathers, you make people uncomfortable. That can't be easy. It is not easy. It is extremely difficult because culture is the hardest of all things to change. Policy is easy. We can rewrite policy. We can redesign training. Yeah, I ruffle feathers. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. It still must be done. The day after our interview, Baltimore's mayor appointed a new commissioner, forcing Harrison to step down. So this is the memorial for my son. I didn't realize all these people cared about my son.
All he had to do was make it around that corner and he would have been home. But he, he didn't make it. He didn't make it. I know, Ty, mama love you to death. Pieces to pieces, you know it. arraignment of the five officers. This is going to be the first time that I've been in the same room or in the presence of those monsters. It's important for you to be here today, yes. Ice. And why, why is that? Because they need to see my face. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah. I see Mr. Stengel. Thank you all for being present. A plea of not guilty. At their first court appearance, all five officers entered not guilty pleas. Rovan sending a message with her presence. We look forward to defending him. Thank so you. why is he not guilty? Why is he not guilty? They're going to see me at every court date, <laughs> everyone, exactly. and um, until we get justice for my son. In March, the Department of Justice announced the Memphis mayor and police chief had asked them to conduct a review into the city's police department. DOJ also said they would examine the use of specialized units in law enforcement. And the family recently filed a $550 million lawsuit against the city of Memphis and the police department. The city did not respond to Impact's request for comment. In your eyes, what would bring justice for Tyree? You can't bring justice for Tyree, even if the officers get convicted and get life in prison. It's not going to bring Tyree back. Mm -mm. You know, so there's, no amount there's of not an amount of money. There's nothing that could bring Tyree back. So what's the point? The point is that we want to have laws changed so it just doesn't happen to someone else. Mm -hmm. All right, she had an important call she could have missed, oh, sure. and that might be the DA. Oh, this is the DA. Hello. During our interview, the family received a call months in the making, the long-awaited official autopsy result for Tyree. The doctor uh, emailed me a copy of the autopsy. Your son died of uh, a result of blunt force trauma, uh, brain injuries. His alcohol level was 0 .049, so well less than the legal limit to drive. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he had a drug in his system. He had a metabolite of marijuana, right. meaning mm -hmm. he had used marijuana sometime in the past. Right. The medical results refuting what they say officers told them the night of the incident. That Tyree was drunk and high. He just heard the results of his autopsy. What does that tell you? That they were lying. They were trying to cover it up. They just lied about every everything. When they came to the door, they just started off lying. And it's terrible that people that you expect to protect and serve, yeah. and they come to your door and they're trying to cover up. The family marking precious milestones. Tyree's 30th birthday. This is put a smile on my face. It's making me emotional. We hear you, In California, Tyree's loved ones honored his love and passion for skateboarding. Having the skate park where he found so much joy and purpose named after him. We are here today um, kind of just show the spirit of Tyree in general. He was somebody who brought everybody together. They've also set up the Tyree Nichols Foundation. I love that it's just going to spark that imagination and that love or that um, curiosity for generations to come. And I know that Tyree will be happy and proud of that. 
Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for bringing us together and, um, you know, blessing us with this good food. Uh, At family dinners with Tyree's siblings, he is never far from the table. I know he's smelling down right now, seeing us all in this big circle right now. And uh, just keep our bond tight, keep us close. And um, Jesus' name, I pray, amen. 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 That was a good one. That was a good one. Here, Michael, you want some? Hey. <laughs> What's talking about? I think us being together, we get to laugh, crack jokes. And that's how we'll be if Tyree was here. Yep. He'll be right here with us talking. Probably shaking his head yeah, at it. Yeah, like, oh my gosh. Right now. He'll be the one in the background recording us. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this is Ty's room now. These are some of the things that were received by different people. Rovan and Rodney have now moved into their new home, making space for Tyree. This is a memorial for Ty. Is it for Ty or is it for you? It's for both because one thing my son, he liked the sunsets. So when I got the house, I had to make sure that I had a house that was facing west. So as you can see, Ty is facing west so he could see the sunsets every night because that was his passion. Fate took their child. Grit has given them a calling. That's his remains there? Yes, those are his remains. He wanted to be cremated. I didn't know that I was going to have to do this so soon, but I had to bring my son home in an urn, and that's, that's him right there. He's still here with me. He's still here. Ty will never go. When asked about Tyree Nichols and Monterius Harris, the Memphis Police Department said, we do not comment on pending litigation. The city of Memphis, the Memphis Fire Department, and the Shelby County District Attorney's Office did not respond to impact's request for comment. The last time Congress attempted to enact nationwide police reform was in 2021. Congress has no current plans to bring forward any policing legislation at this time.